Our reading this morning is from Galatians chapter 5, verses 13 through 15. Galatians 5, 13 through 15. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. A man and his son were on a camping trip that took them several miles from home. And at the boys' insistence, they attended Sunday worship service at a small rural church that was out near where they were camping. Now, the father had forgotten to bring any cash with him, so he searched around in his pockets and he found a quarter, gave that to his son so that his son could place it in the collection plate when it came around. When the service ended, they walked to their car and, and had just complained. He said, man, that service ran too long. That singing was off-key, and that preacher was boring. I hope none of you say that when you leave here today, but I can't control that. Well, and his, and his son looked up to him and said, Dad, I didn't think it was that bad for a quarter. And, and my point is this, that there have been times that all of us have received bad service. And I'm not really talking about worship service. I'm just saying there are times... You receive poor service. But just because we have received bad service doesn't mean that we should render bad service. This morning, as we continue our study of the one another commands that appear in Scripture, we come to this one from Galatians chapter 5, where Paul instructs us to, through love, serve one another. That's our next anothering statement. That's the next expectation of brothers and sisters in Christ toward one another, that we serve one another. And notice in the context of this passage that Paul is saying that our service to one another is one way we fulfill the greatest command. And the greatest command is to love your neighbor as yourself. Think about it. Throughout the Bible, love and service go hand in hand. At the, at the Last Supper, Jesus demonstrated his love for the disciples through service when he washed their feet. And after doing that, he told them, I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. So if, if serving one another is so important that Paul commanded it and Jesus demonstrated it, then should we not desire to become better servants? Shouldn't that be an objective of ours, to become experts at service, since it's expected that we will serve one another? Shouldn't we want to be professional servants? With that in mind, we turn our attention to one of the most underrated servants in all of Scripture to see what principles we can learn about service. If you will, open your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 1. And we're going to come to a few verses, verses 16 through 18, that often get overlooked as though they don't contain any theological significance. 
And it's there that we're going to encounter an obscure form of service. And if we read between the lines of this passage, if we really dive into what these verses are telling us about this servant, we'll come to a greater understanding of what service should be. But before we dive into the verses, I do want to set some context for us. I want us to understand the circumstances from which Paul is writing these verses. You need to realize Paul is in prison when he wrote 2 Timothy. He's, he's in a prison, assumedly in Rome. And this is evident from the fact that in that first chapter of 2 Timothy and in verse 8, he refers to himself as a prisoner. In verse 16, he refers to his chains. And then if you go over to 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 9, he says that he is bound with chains as a criminal. Now here's the thing. Paul is no stranger to imprisonment. He'd been in prison before. We read of his time behind bars overnight in Philippi in Acts chapter 16. He spent two years in a prison in Caesarea between Acts chapter 23 and Acts chapter 26 that we can read about. And we also know that he had a two-year house arrest in Rome, according to Acts chapter 28. But, but this time, he's not under house arrest. He doesn't have the freedoms that came with that house arrest in Acts chapter 28. This time, he's in prison. But being in prison didn't bother Paul. It didn't upset him that he was a prisoner. It didn't frustrate him that his freedoms were taken away. Being in prison didn't bother Paul. But if you pay attention to this letter, you'll see that his circumstances are, are more than just that of a prisoner. Paul's not only in prison, Paul's on death row. Now, he does not expect to be released from prison this time. I told you, he's been in prison before. In fact, we can go to the book of Philippians, a, book, a letter he wrote from prison, from likely a Roman prison. But on that occasion, he wrote as one who expected to be released. In Philippians chapter 1, you can read in his letter how, how he's, he's facing a dilemma. He says, you know, to depart and be with Christ, that would be far better. But he admits that it's more beneficial for the kingdom of God for him to remain alive and be freed. And he tells the church in Philippi that that's what he expects to happen, that he's going to be released from his imprisonment. And according to church tradition, that's in fact what happened. But this time, as he writes the letter, to second, the letter of 2 Timothy, he does not write as one who expects to be released. If you'll skip over to chapter 4, I want you to notice what he says in verses 6 through 8 of 2 Timothy chapter 4. He says, the time of my departure has come. He's not talking about his departure from prison, because as you keep reading, he says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Paul expects to die. Paul believes that this imprisonment ends only one way, and that's with his death. But you know what? 
dying doesn't bother Paul. It doesn't upset him or frustrate him that he likely isn't going anywhere. It doesn't scare him or cause him any anxiety that his life is near its end. Being in prison didn't bother Paul, and dying didn't bother Paul. But that's not the entirety of his circumstances. See, there's one other thing we discover about Paul's situation here, and that is that Paul feels alone. Throughout the letter to 2 Timothy, Paul mentioned being deserted on multiple occasions. He even listed everyone who was unable to be present with him. So if you go back to 2 Timothy chapter 1 and you look at verse 15, he mentioned, being des- he, he mentioned that all those in Asia have turned away from me, among whom are Phygelus and Homogenes. And in chapter 4 and verse 10, he mentioned Demas' desertion, saying that Demas had forsaken him, having loved this present world and departed for Thessalonica. In verse 16 of 2 Timothy chapter 4, he stated that no one came to his defense, that no one stood with him, and all forsook him. He then goes on throughout that chapter, 2 Timothy chapter 4, and he informed Timothy where everybody was that couldn't be there. Cretans was in Galatia, Titus in Dalmatia, Tychicus in Ephesus, Erastus was in Corinth, Trophimus was in Miletus. And then he encourages Timothy to come to him. See, all of these notes that Paul makes about people that deserted him or that people that can't come to him, all of them seem to indicate that Paul really felt lonely. He's aware that the end is near, and it appears that that's what bothers him. He's bothered by the fact that people deserted him. He's bothered by the fact that no one defended him. He's bothered by the fact that he's in this situation all by himself. And some of you, some of us, know exactly what Paul's going through. That feeling of aloneness. That feeling that you have to do this all by yourself. That feeling that no one is there to stand with you or to help you. And that's what bothers Paul right now. You see, Paul expected to walk to his own cross, but he did not expect to walk alone as one preacher said. He expected to die for the cause of Christ, but he didn't expect that he'd be doing it all by himself, that nobody would be there by his side supporting him, encouraging him. He didn't expect to be alone, but that's where he finds himself right now. And that's when we arrive at verse 16 of 2 Timothy chapter 1, when Paul thought there was no one who would stand by him and walks a guy named Onesiphorus. In reference to this relatively unknown individual, here's what Paul had to say, 2 Timothy chapter, uh, chapter 1, verses 16 through 17. He says that Onesiphorus often refreshed me, and he was not ashamed of my chains, but when he arrived in Rome, he searched for me earnestly and found me. May the Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day, and you well know all the service he rendered 
at Ephesus. My guess is that before today, some of you had never heard of Onesiphorus, the man who refreshed Paul. But this individual, this individual who's only mentioned in the book of 2 Timothy, this individual left such an impact on Paul that Paul asked the Lord to grant mercy on his household, and he instructed Timothy to greet his household in the fourth chapter. We know very little about Onesiphorus, but we do know that he was a big deal to Paul. And that's because he served Paul refreshment when Paul needed it most. And this morning what I want to do is consider some things we can learn about serving one another from Onesiphorus' service to Paul. And the first thing I want you to notice about service is that serving refreshment requires availability. I've already mentioned Paul was alone in prison. He'd been deserted by several that he thought were friends and fellow workers. And he's pleading with Timothy to do your best to come to me soon and, and, and to do your best to come before winter. He's begging Timothy to come. Paul desperately wants Timothy to make his way to Rome as soon as possible. And, and I think it's because he doesn't want to be alone during the difficult days that lie ahead. Whether or not Timothy makes it there in time, we don't know. But, but one thing Timothy was faced with was a decision as to whether or not he would make himself available to Paul in this moment. You know, if Timothy were like many Christians today, he might think to himself, I'm too busy to make a trip to Rome right now. I can't afford to make this kind of sacrifice of my time, of my energy, of my resources. That's just a lot to have to sacrifice right now. Hey, you know, Paul said he's got Luke there still. So does he really need me if, if Luke's there? Somebody else can take care of his need. Right now, I just can't. I, I can't go. I can't be available right now. Try me again next winter. If Timothy were like many of us, those would be the thoughts going through his head, would they not? And I think it's significant that as Paul is begging Timothy to make himself available for him, he simultaneously holds up an example and gives high praise to an individual who is, un, who is completely willing to be available to him. See, Onesiphorus didn't do much, but he did the one thing that Paul needed. He was present. Onesiphorus' presence let Paul know that, that Paul still mattered to someone. Onesiphorus' presence let Paul know that he wasn't alone. Onesiphorus' presence let Paul know that someone cared about his plight, about what he was going through. All Onesiphorus did was be available and be present for Paul. But that's really all Paul needed.
Sometimes the most important thing you can do when it comes to serving others is to be present for them. Think about it. When no one comes to see you, do you feel like they care? Imagine Paul in this prison, unvisited. This apostle who carried the gospel across the nations, this, this, this missionary who established all these congregations and had all these connections to Christians around the world, this evangelist who led so many people to salvation, and yet no one is there to be with him. Solomon wisely said in Proverbs chapter 17 and verse 17 that a friend loves at all times and a brother is born for adversity. Solomon was indicating that one's availability to another during a time of crisis is a reminder to others that they are not alone. And that's exactly what Onesiphorus did. He just made himself available and that showed Paul that someone cared. That little act of service was all Paul really needed in the moment. It didn't take a huge sacrifice from Onesiphorus. It didn't take great effort from Onesiphorus. All he did was be there. Serving one another through love, it always starts with availability. But serving such refreshment also requires unselfishness. It requires us to be selfless. You know, the world operates on the principle of what am I going to get out of this in light of what I put into it? We even treat worship that way. What am I going to get out of this today? We have a tendency to look at this time as what can I benefit from, or how can I benefit from it, more than we look at it as what can I give to it. We operate quite frequently on this principle of what am I going to get out of this. The world always wants a greater return on the investment, but as Christians, we have to remember that we're not of the world. Onesiphorus refreshed Paul when Paul had nothing to offer Onesiphorus. Paul's in prison. Paul is the one who is in need of being served. So he doesn't have anything to offer in return for what Onesiphorus gives. But that didn't matter to Onesiphorus. Do you remember Paul's definition of love in 1 Corinthians chapter 13? If you go over to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, he, between verses 4 and 7, Paul defines love for us. And in the midst of that list, if you look at verse 5, one of the things Paul says is that love is not self-seeking. Love is not self-seeking. That means love is not concerned with what I can get out of what I do for you. Love is not concerned about the return on the investment. Love is concerned about serving where service needs to be offered. 
And that's exactly what Onesiphorus does here. He doesn't go to Rome and find Paul because of what Paul is going to be able to do for him. He goes to find Paul because of what Paul needs right now. If we're going to love one another and we're going to demonstrate our love through our service, then we have to start being unselfish, meaning that we don't serve with the intent of getting something out of it. Refreshing other people requires us to be selfless. And serving refreshment requires us to be observant. You see, Christians should always be in search and rescue mode. One thing I find, one little detail I find so important in the description of Onesiphorus is that when he arrived in Rome, he searched for Paul earnestly. Think about it. Onesiphorus couldn't Google Paul to find out where the Roman prison system located him. He had to search for Paul. Maybe that meant he had to make contact with certain individuals in government. Maybe that meant he had to ask around and, 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 and ask Christians in the city of Rome if they knew where Paul was placed. Maybe that meant he had to go door to door to each prison and check each cell until he found Paul. We don't know how Onesiphorus went about it, but we know that he was looking that he was, he was observant as a servant. And as Christians, we have to go about service the same way. We have to search for those who need refreshment because they are not necessarily going to come to us. So that means when you interact with your family, when you go to work or you go to school, when you walk around your neighborhood, when you come to this building, you come with opened eyes and a prayerful heart asking God to lead you to those who need service. Because it's our responsibility to search for those who need to be served. Think about the parable of the sheep and the goats. Sheep saw people who needed service. The goats didn't. See, refreshing others takes unique effort because you must approach each relationship and each interaction with intention and attention. Intention and attention. Consider what 1 John chapter 3 and verse 17 says. It's there that John writes, If anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? It doesn't say, if you have the world's goods and your brother comes up to you and says, hey, I need some help. It says, if you have the world's goods and you see, you observe, you notice that your brother needs some help. What that passage implies is that we are capable of seeing the needs of others. And if we close our hearts to meeting those needs, which would include closing our eyes to observe them in the first place, then we are lacking in God's love. If we're going to be professional servants, we've got to have better eyes for seeing the needs of others. And yes, there will be times as you look for people who need to be refreshed that it will be a little bit awkward. 
And there are going to be times you're going to stumble in the process. And you're going to make mistakes as you try to become a better servant. But isn't it better to receive an awkward attempt at refreshing someone than no attempt at all? Serving refreshment requires you to be observant. Requires you to be on the lookout. Requires you to be watching for needs. And serving refreshment requires one to be impartial. You know, it's easy for us to pick and choose who we're going to serve. Those people who are close to us, those people that we have a very intimate relationship with are are easy to serve because we're comfortable with them. But those who don't look like me or those who are not in my comfort zone, those are the ones we tend to leave for someone else to serve. Most of us would probably say that the Apostle Paul is one that we'd be willing to serve, but, but it would be extraordinarily easy for you and I to assume that Paul didn't need to be served. If you were to pick anybody out of Scripture that needed service, Paul probably wouldn't be at the top of the list. Someone that's a hero of faith like him, he doesn't need my help. He's got this on his own. And being impartial means treating everyone equally. And when it comes to service, being impartial means serving everyone including those we don't think need to be served. In one of his last parables, the parable of the sheep and the goats that I referenced a minute ago, Jesus indicated that serving other people is something that matters eternally. The goats were separated from the sheep for eternal judgment because of what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 25, verses 42 and 43. He said, for I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me. Naked and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison and you did not visit me. The goats were separated from the sheep because they did not serve refreshment. They did not feed, clothe, or visit those who needed it. And notice that Jesus indicated that failing to do those things for one of our peers was equivalent to failing to do it for him. But here's the most intriguing part of the parable for me. The sheep are praised for serving Jesus by serving others. But they didn't even realize they were doing it. They repeatedly asked Jesus, when did we see you hungry? When did we see you naked? When did we see you in prison or sick? You see, Jesus never told us who to serve. He never put parameters out there and said, this is the type of person you're supposed to serve. Service for the sheep in this parable manifested itself whenever anyone needed it. The sheep simply served without discrimination, and in the process, they unknowingly served the Lord. Here's the takeaway for me. To be impartial as a servant, I have to take off my own blinders because I tend to see people through my own filters and it's time to start seeing people the way that God sees people. If I'm going to serve the way the sheep served in this parable, I can't pick and choose who's going to be served. I can't try to decide who deserves my service or who needs my service. When it comes to serving others, their past 
shouldn't matter. Their skin pigmentation shouldn't matter. Their political views shouldn't matter. Their economic status shouldn't matter. What matters is that I pay forward what God already paid to me. What matters is the refreshment that I provide can be the catalyst for someone else's soul to be saved. So when it comes to serving one another, I've got to be impartial because that's the way service is demonstrated in Scripture. Remember, even Jesus, in his great act of service of washing the disciples' feet, washed the feet of Judas, all the while knowing what Judas was about to do. Service requires one to be impartial. And one final thought, serving refreshment requires us to be courageous. Onesiphorus knew the risk he was taking to refresh Paul. He's going to serve a man who was condemned because of his faith. Now think about this situation for a moment. Paul is in prison. Visiting Paul wouldn't be like going down to the county jail to meet an inmate. This is a time when Christianity isn't acceptable in Rome. So to associate with Paul for the purpose of refreshing him spiritually is to put a mark on on yourself. Would you be willing to risk your own safety in order to serve someone else? Because that's what Onesiphorus is doing. Onesiphorus knew that he was endangering himself through his relationship with Paul. It took courage to go into that dark dungeon. It took a willingness to put his own safety on the line. What's interesting, though, is that every reference we have to Onesiphorus, which is only two, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 16, and 2 Timothy chapter 4, and verse 9, every reference we have to Onesiphorus appears in the past tense. The references to Onesiphorus either describe what he did in the past or address his household. So it's at least possible that by the time Paul wrote 2 Timothy, Onesiphorus is dead. We don't know that. That's just possibility. And we have to, at the very least, acknowledge that Onesiphorus was risking his life to refresh Paul. We don't know what happened to him. Scripture does not speak about his life after his visit to Paul. But we do know that it took courage to go where an enemy of the state was held in chains for Christ and be associated with that individual And Onesiphorus was willing to do that. Are you willing to risk your own safety for the sake of serving refreshment to someone? Are you courageous enough to take the risks that come, whether they be financially, physically, emotionally? Are you willing to take the risks in order to, through love, serve one another. Let me close out with this. Back in World War II, the first African-American squadron that went to Europe to fly with the Allied bombers was the Tuskegee Airmen. 
Their mission was to escort bombers to their targets, but their assignment was quite unique. See, prior to their arrival, the, the, the squadrons that escorted the bombers would have to break formation and fight the enemy aircraft that were attacking the bombers, all so they could help protect the bombers, so that the bombers could make it to their targets. But here's the problem. When those squadrons would leave the bombers to fight off enemy aircraft, the bombers were left exposed. So the Tuskegee Airmen came on the scene, and they had one responsibility. Their responsibility was to never abandon the bombers. They flew in 179 bomber escort missions. They encountered enemy aircraft on 35 of those missions. They only lost bombers on seven of those missions. In all, a total of 27 bombers were lost under the protection of the Tuskegee Airmen. But that was a significant improvement over the average of 46 bombers lost to the other fighter groups of the 15th Air Force. And so if you were a U.S. bomber pilot flying into Germany to attack a target, you wanted the Tuskegee Airmen with you because you knew that they wouldn't leave you when things got tough. They were going to be with you to the end. That's a refresher. That's someone who's willing to serve refreshment no matter what it takes. God has called us to be servants. God has called us to, through love, serve one another. And that's going to require some difficult things. It's going to require us to make ourselves available. It's going to require us to be impartial. It's going to require us to be courageous. It's going to require us to be unselfish. Are you willing to be that kind of professional servant? Are you willing to be an anotherer? This morning we gather and study these anothering commands because they're part of God's expectation for His children. And let me start by saying this. If you're not one of His children, then today's the perfect opportunity to become one. Christ died for you. He took his sin, your sins in his body for you. In other words, Christ served you first. And because he died for you, your sins can be forgiven. All you have to do is to confess your belief that Jesus Christ is the risen Son of God, repent of your sins, and be immersed in water for the forgiveness of those sins. And the blood that he shed for you will cover your sins. But maybe you sit here today as a child of God and you realize you have not completed one of the basic expectations of his children, and that is to, through love, serve one another. And maybe you need help. You need encouragement. You need support. Maybe you need some onesiphorises in your own life or you need to become an onesiphorus. Well, right now is the opportunity to either express your need for help or to confess your failure 
at doing what you're supposed to do. We offer an invitation at the close of every service because one of the reasons we gather here is to worship God and another reason we gather here is to support one another, to serve one another. And right now we offer this invitation. If there's any way we can serve you today, won't you come while together we stand and sing. And you must give an answer for something you must do. What shall it be? What shall it be? What shall your answer be? What will you do with Jesus? Oh, what shall your answer be? What will you do with Jesus? It comes by night and day with <coughs> uplifted. He waits. What will you say? What shall it be? What shall it be? What shall your answer be? What will you do with Jesus? Oh, what shall your answer be? What will you do with Jesus? He's knocking at the door. Refuse him so no longer, lest he should plead no more. What shall it be? What shall it be? What shall your answer be? What will you do? with Jesus. Oh, what shall your answer be? Thank you, Kyle, for that lesson. If you would, go ahead and be seated. <clears throat> We're going to sing uh, the first verse of number 234. 234, then we'll uh, have a prayer to close out the service. Uh, and after the service, we'll have a um, uh, time to honor our graduating seniors. <clears throat> Number 234, 234. <clears throat> I'm pressing on the upward way, new heights I'm gaining every day. Still praying as I onward bound, Lord, plant my feet on higher ground. Lord, lift me up and let me stand 
by faith on heaven's table land, a higher plane than I have found. Lord, plant my feet on higher ground. Let's pray. Our God and our eternal Father in heaven, we thank you for the day that you blessed us with and this time that we've gotten to worship you. We pray that we worshiped you in spirit and in truth in a way that pleases you and glorifies your name on this earth. We pray that as we leave here that we will truly go out into the community and serve others, serve those who need our assistance, both physically but more importantly spiritually. We pray that we will also serve one another within the church, within the body of Christ here, that we will lean on one another throughout life's hardships and trials and struggles. We pray that we will take these lessons today and apply them in our life intentionally and purposefully as we live. Lord, today we are grateful for our seniors as we're about to honor them. We thank you for each one of them. Pray that each of them will seek your will for their life and always walk in the ways that you would have them walk and live a life that glorifies your name as you've promised to be with them always, wherever they might go. Thank you for the elders of this congregation, the shepherds that look over our souls. Be with them as they make decisions and comfort them and help us to make their job a little easier. Thank you most of all for Jesus Christ, his sacrifice that he gave for us. To his name that we pray. Amen. It is my honor to introduce our seniors to you this morning. Uh, seniors, as I call your name, if you don't mind, just go ahead and come down front and stand on the stage behind me. You can stay back there until the end of the prayers. Our first senior this morning is Abigail Cheryl Howard, the daughter of Christy and James Howard and graduating from Jefferson High School. She plans to attend either Pepperdine or Georgia Tech University to work for a nonprofit and eventually the CIA. While there, she, is, she plans to major in international affairs and business with a Spanish minor. Next, we have Cameron Hughes, the daughter of Denise and Chris Hughes, graduating from Metro Academic Studies. Uh, Cameron is planning to attend Georgia Southern this fall where she hopes to major in criminal justice and get a minor in child and family development. David Allen Blake, the son of Billy and Melanie Blake, graduating from Mountain View High School later this month. Uh, Davey plans to attend Harding University this fall and major in computer science. Jonathan Grant Duncan, the son of Eric and Angie Duncan, graduating from Lambert High School. Grant plans to attend the University of North Georgia this fall and, major, and gain a major in nursing. Jackson Bowers, the son of Julie Bowers and Jay Bowers, graduating from Mill Creek High School. Uh, Jackson is a member of the Best Buddies Club and participated and competed in the Special Olympics. He plans to attend the transition program this fall at Mill Creek High School. Catherine Holmwood, 
the daughter of James and Stephanie Holmwood, and the granddaughter of Sophie Robinson. She's graduating from Flowery Branch High School with plans to attend the University of North Georgia this fall and gain a major in psychology. Margaret Elizabeth Johnson, daughter of William and Jessica Johnson, graduating from Jackson County Comprehensive High School. Maggie is attending the University of North Georgia in Dahlonega this fall with hopes to major in special education. Terriana Taylor, the daughter of Martha and Freddie Taylor, graduating from Mill Creek High School. Terriana is going to be attending the Augusta University and majoring in biology. Tiffany Amber Lee Price, the daughter of Melinda Porter and the granddaughter of Victor and Laura Fowler. Tiffany is graduating from Georgia Cyber Academy and attending Freed Hardeman University this fall, where she will gain a Bachelor of Science in Nursing. We also have three other seniors who, could not, who were unable to be here this morning who will still be praying for, though in our prayers with the elders coming up in a moment. Those, are, those three are Aliyah Price, the daughter of Joy Waters, Logan Smith, the son of Jason and Jody Smith, and Wesley Powers, the son of Paula and Brian Powers. The elders are now going to uh, ask for individual prayers for these seniors. At the uh, end of Scott Sitton's final prayer, he will uh, will stand dismissed, and it will be at that time, and I think it would be appropriate for us to show our congratulations through applause for them. But if you will, I'm going to ask that Grant join me up here, and then I'll also be paying, praying for uh, Jack Bowers. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you so much for this opportunity to be encouraged by the accomplishments of these young people. Lord, we, they have been a blessing to this congregation, and we're so proud of them. Lord, we, uh, uh, as well as being thankful for them, we ask your blessings on them as they move forward in this next phase of their life. Uh, specifically, I want to ask prayers for uh, Grant as he continues his studies at North Georgia, that you will be with him, that he will go up there, that he will be a light in that place, that others will look to him for direction in life, for spiritual direction. We pray that you will give him the courage to stand, stand strong in the faith of, uh, face of the adversary every day. We're thankful for his family. We pray that you uh, would be with Eric and Angie and uh, Emma Claire and Holden as, as he leaves uh, that household, that uh, you will bless them with courage. We're thankful for the influence that they've been on Grant. Uh, Lord, please go with Grant. We pray for uh, thankfulness for Jack Bowers and what he means to us here, the encouragement we feel when we see him. We pray that you be with him as he continues uh, his studies at Mill Creek, that he will continue to learn, that he will uh, continue to enjoy life as he has, that he'll continue to be an encouragement to those around him. We're thankful for Julie and for uh, Joe and for Jake and the encouragement and the, the care and love that they've shown for him. And we're thankful for them and the example of that family. We pray that you be with both these young men. And so your son's name we pray. Amen. I get to pray for Abigail, Abby, and also for uh, Wesley Powers. Let's go to the Father in prayer. Our Father in heaven, we are so grateful this morning to honor these seniors. And at this time, I lift up. Abigail's uh, name before you, Father. We are so proud of her. We are so thankful for the Howard family and what they mean to Buford. 
And Abby has chosen to go to uh, Pepperdine in California, which is a long way away from home, and we just pray your blessings on her. Father, that will be a place for many challenges, being that far from family. And Father, we pray that you'll always look to family here, Father, that she'll always remember that we are her family as well as her physical, earthly family. We pray that she will always realize this is a place for her to come and be safe and loved. And uh, as she goes through the next phases of her life, as she makes this change, Father, we pray that she'll always look to her parents for advice, that she'll always look to scripture for truth and the place to determine whether things are right or wrong and where she is going to go with her life. And we just uh, know she'll make good decisions, but Father, we just pray your blessings on her, that you will strengthen her comfort and that you will put people like Onisiphorus in her life to help her find the right way. We pray, Father, that you'll be with uh, Wesley as he goes into the next part of his life, as he makes uh, decisions for the, his next phase of life, and we just uh, pray that you'll bless him, that you'll encourage him, and again, Father, you'll help him to look to his family of faith here for, for uh, assistance and aid and, and uh, for uh, help in times of need. We thank you for both these young people, and we just uh, pray your blessings on them and their families as they adjust to them leaving, because we know that's a hard thing for parents is to see their kids move on to this next stage, and we just uh, pray your blessings on them and comfort. And it's through Jesus we pray. Amen. I'll be praying for Cameron, Cameron Hughes and for Ialea uh, Price, who's not here this morning. And if you will, go to God in prayer with me. Almighty God, we thank you for this opportunity we have to be here this morning. We thank you that we're a part of this uh, graduating group, that we can honor them and, and uh, Pray for them uh, as they leave off into the next level of education. And Father, we know that you've created all, created all things, including these seniors here today. We pray that you will bless them with safety as they go from uh, uh, their education process today to the future. We pray that you be with their safety. Help them to grow in knowledge. Help them to grow in faith. Help them to grow in uh, grace. And Father, we just ask you to be with them as they learn these things. And may you provide with, for them suitable helpers and suitable friends that will assist them as to get through these next years ahead and to create lots of good memories. Father, they leave a family that loves them very much and they'll, be, uh, they'll have experience in some loneliness uh, at their leaving. And, we will experience their loneliness too. Father, you have given us a thing called love and we love these young people. We love and appreciate their parents who've worked hard to raise them to this point. And we just bless you, that we ask you that you'll bless them every day as they study to grow in knowledge. And we just pray that they'll grow in faith and we hope to see them again soon. Thank you for letting us all be a part of this great day. In Jesus' name, amen. I'll be praying for Davy and Katie. 
Let's go to God in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, uh, we continue our prayer and, and come to you on behalf of Davey and Katie and what they mean to you and what they have mean as leaders here at uh, your uh, church here in Buford. We're grateful for what they have done. We know that many have uh, encouraged them over the years, their parents, grandparents, and many here at uh, the Buford congregation has helped them grow into the great leaders that they are. And we ask you now to be with them as they go forward into their college uh, experience. Uh, let them be able to uh, shine brightly for you uh, and continue to uh, know that uh, you are their foundation and your son Jesus who died on the cross. We ask you to be with Davy as he goes to Harding to learn computer science. Uh, we ask you to let him be able to uh, show uh, those talents and, and be able to hone them in to be able to uh, work in the future. We're grateful for his leadership and just let him continue to uh, flourish there in Searcy and, and those that he come in contact with and help bring others to Christ. And we ask you to be with Katie as she uh, goes to study psychology at the University of North Georgia and we ask you to let her continue to be a shining light, let her be able to uh, use those talents uh, in the future to help others. Uh, deal with different challenges that's with them, but also to bring them to you. And we're just grateful for their love and their willingness to uh, continue to love you in this world that we live in. Uh, protect them and protect their families. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, let's go to God in prayer on behalf of Maggie Johnson this time. Father in heaven, again we come to you uh, on behalf of Maggie at this time. We thank you for her, Father, and for her life, Father, and the life that she's had, that she's living in, in you and in your admonition, Father, and we just thank you for that. We thank you for her parents, BJ and Jessica, as they have raised her up from the time she was born, and your truth, and admonished her and nourished her in your word. And we ask that you help her to continue to grow spiritually, Father, and grow in your word, that she might be a great servant in the kingdom as she progresses through the rest of her life, Father. Be with her at this time as she finishes out her high school career, that she might be able to excel and be a success there as she be plans to begin uh, school in North Georgia in the fall, that she might be able to thrive and uh, be able to live a life in service to you that she, uh, from the things that she learns and the things she experiences, and that she might be a great example to her family, to her brothers and sisters, her mom and dad, and those around her, Father. Thank you for her and her family and for those who are friends of hers. And we ask that you help her to continue to be a good light to them, shining in a dark world, that she might be a great example for those around. Be with her throughout the rest of her life, Father, that she might uh, live uh, an abundant life, live a life that's, uh, that's good and well, and that she might be able to find someone to partner up with at some point, that they may have a life in, uh, that's um, lived in your sight that's well and pleasing to you, Father. So she be with her at this time, especially as she finishes her high school career. Thank you so much for her and for your son. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'll be praying for Tiffany. Our Father and our God, we love you and we thank you, Father, for your love for us and for the blessings that you give to us and father one of those blessings that you have given to us is tiffany to be a part of our life 
and for her to be a part of ours as well. And to see her grow and mature into the young lady that she is today. And Father, we seek your blessings to be upon her continually as she goes through the next steps of her life, as she goes through life itself, that you be with her and that you give her guidance and protection and help her, Father, always to know the love that you have for her and to bless her in so many different ways. Father, we ask that you surround her with those who love her, with good friends who will support her and encourage her and to bless her in everything that she does. Father, again, we are blessed to know that you are our Lord and that you always are watching over us and that you're with us every day of our life. And for Tiffany, we give thanks and and we thank you for your love for us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I'll be praying for Teriana Taylor. Let's pray. Dear Father in heaven, all-knowing Father in heaven, you know um, the things that are going through everyone's minds in this family. We ask that you'll be with Teriana as she goes through uh, this new time, new phase in her life, that you'll help her and you'll allow her as she travels down to Augusta to uh, experience things, but grow closer to you, to, to, to be comfortable and, and learn the things that she needs to learn. She's taking a tough course, Father, in biology, something. Some of us just barely got to there ourselves and she's digging in and doing something that we're thankful for. And we hope that she'll be able to move forward with that and have a wonderful career ahead of her and do things that make her happy. And Father, we ask that you'll be with her and her family as during these times, there's probably gonna be times they're gonna feel alone, they're gonna need refreshed. And we ask that you'll be with them, you'll help us and you'll help others to be able to reach out to her and help her during this time. Father, we also are so thankful that you allow us all to be here together today and to worship you and to praise you. And we ask, Father, that you'll be with us all and help us all to get home safely and that you help us be back here again tonight and every time these doors are open, be able to worship you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're dismissed.